Hello, I'm David Coleman, and you're listening to the second episode of Quarantine the Past, the new music podcast from No Record. This uh, edition, we're going to be focusing on festivals with the summer on the horizon. We've got some exciting new music, uh, and we're going to learn a little bit about the staff's uh, festival experiences in the past. Okay, so just to introduce everyone, it's the same crew as last time. First up, we've got Juan Rodriguez. Hello, everyone. We've got Gabby Nirenberg. Hello. And we've got Joe Rivers. Hey. Hi, everyone. Right, so it's a festival theme. The 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 idea this um, this month is that we're going to be picking bands that you may well be watching in a field somewhere later in the summer. Um, but before we move to that, I just want to ask the staff about their festival experiences. So two quick questions just to get a feel for what you've been doing in the past. Um, I want you to tell me your best festival experience. So the best performance you've seen by a band and your biggest regret at a festival. Um, we'll kick off with Joe, I think, this time. Okay, um, I first want to call out your disgraceful Northern Hemisphere bias because we're not coming into summer and festival season. As we all know, we're actually coming mm. into winter. So this is definitely, I'm not thinking about um, festivals, at least Australian festivals at the moment. Um, you're going I to I, a summer festival, Joe. I am going to In North festival. America. Yeah, it, so. it's, it's just laziness. I mean, you should be prepared to travel, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm having, I'm having to travel to the other side of the world to, <laughs> just to kind of um, fit in. Um, my best festival experience um, is a little known artist called um, Stevie Wonder. Um, I saw him at the festival about 10 years ago, and I think um, there's just a few of his tracks that are just so kind of um, joyous and convivial and sort of bring people together so much. I think um, just being in a field of people while everyone effectively um, chants the horn riff from Sir Duke is quite a sort of experience that I'm not sure I'll ever forget. Um, and yeah, just a, um, the real sort of festival experience that's felt like a big sort of communal thing for me, which I really enjoyed. Um, my biggest festival regret was the last festival that I went to, which was in, um, was in Sydney. And um, around sort of 6, 7 p.m., it started raining and I just thought, you know what, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just leave. Um, I'll miss the headliners, even though I really wanted to see them. You know, my feet are a bit wet, but it's totally fine because there'll be other festivals soon. So I don't need to worry about that. And that was February 2020. And of course, there were not any festivals for a long time after that. So um, I, I left my last festival early, um, misplaced hubris that it would um, be able to continue on. Well, you learned a vital lesson there, really. Exactly, exactly. Never, <laughs> never leave early. Um, Who knows when you'll get to see the 1975 again. So what about you, uh, Gabby? Um, so when I was trying to think of answers to this question, I realized that I don't really go to festivals because I don't think I like them very much, it turns out. <laughs> I, am, I am like a tiny venue dank basement kind of person <laughs> um and festival even though I'm going to two huge festivals this summer like it turns out I, I hate festivals so but I thought of two um one obvious one which is my regret and we'll get to that in a second but the very first concert I ever went to was a festival and I thought it was the warp tour but I looked it up 
and it is called the Horde Tour. And I don't know if any of you remember this. It was in 1997. And here, this was what I looked this up in Pittsburgh, PA. Well, actually outside of it in the Star Lake Amphitheater on August 21st, 1997. Um, here was the lineup. Neil Young, the Mighty Mighty Boston's, Spiritualized, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Leftover Salmon, Taj Mahal, Soul Coughing, and the Squirrel Nut Zippers. And that's I remember, yeah, that's a, that's a fucking lineup. And I remember um, the Mighty Mighty Boston's vividly. And that was actually really fun. I mean, I was 13, so you'll excuse that. And the Squirrel Nut Zippers, which I'm pretty sure is the reason that we went. And by we, I mean my older sister, who um, if I was 13, she was 24. Um, that would have been the reason we went, <laughs> because that was like the height of the swing dance era. So I don't know if that's the best memory, but maybe because I guess your first concert might always be your best by definition. But mistake or regret, I mean, pitchfork hey, was a Can disaster. we go back to this like Yes, fine. Did, 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 <laughs> so that, that lineup, I just can't, I just can't sort of get my head around that, that lineup, but then headlined by Neil Young. Neil Young! <laughs> Which definitely was skipped. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just imagining Neil Young being like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm keen to play this, but I'm, I'm not doing it unless the Mighty Mighty Boston's involved." <laughs> like, nice. Yeah, they were second on the on uh, mm. the listing there. Yeah, that's. I remember. I, I love I think, that soul yeah. coughing song circles. I'm sure they played it. During I'm the certain they did. No, yeah. we saw. I remember seeing soul coughing just, and I remember seeing leftover salmon. I like that band. <laughs> So this, like, would it have gone straight from the Mighty Mighty Bus Tones into Neil Young? Because that's just such an incongruous kind of um, that I don't remember. Lineup. I don't remember. Mm. Maybe Neil Young did, talk... did. Did he play? I mean, he might have. He might have realized what he signed up for. And no, yeah. no, this this was this was exactly like I think that this festival. I looked up other dates, and this was not the lineup for every date of the festival. But mm. this was the lineup of the show I went to. <laughs> Neil Young, that was his first and last appearance on this tour. <laughs> Possibly. Amazing, talking of, right? Talking of the incongruous, actually, that does remind me, having just said that Stevie Wonder is my best festival experience, I've just remembered that the band on the on that main stage before him was um, Sigur Rós, okay. which is just such an incongruous <laughs> thing to go from, of like sort of 10-minute sort of post-rock songs where, you know, a guy plays a guitar with a cello bow and sort of scrunches his face up. And then, you know, that's just followed by, um, yeah, by Stevie Wonder coming out and doing like Pastime Paradise or something. I mean, I don't know who plans festivals. Like I'm trying no to remember, right. I'm trying to remember that because the only other festival like I remember really planning on going to because there are a ton of like random ones that I don't clearly remember just you know going to in philadelphia because there's so many just kind of pop up like okay we'll show up sort of festivals um was pitchfork <laughs> for no ripcord which was embarrassing start to finish um in 2007 so um yeah god so embarrassing but i know yoko ono played i'm trying to remember at the same what she she played at the same time as some other 
much more popular or not more popular, but like, obviously she's a big act, but like people didn't want to see her as much as, was it possibly Girl Talk that played at the same time as her? And like, everyone wanted to see Girl Talk and nobody wanted to see Yoko Ono. Like that sounds familiar. That sounds very familiar, but I regret a lot about my presence at that event because I got mocked constantly for being in the press pit with a point and shoot camera. And I was like, cause this is 2007. So I didn't have, nobody had um, smartphones, right? And I had to be like, I'm a writer, damn it. Not all of us are photographers. It was just very embarrassing. I've had that experience too in the past. So don't feel bad. I didn't feel bad. I just felt like, why am I here? Yeah. But it was fun. But it was not for me, maybe. Also, I'm pretty sure that I went to talk to Greg Gillis, but had no plan. for what to say to him and it did not go well but I don't remember what exactly I said it was probably a lot of like bumbling and I may or may not have told him he was cute and that we were both from Pittsburgh (laughs) so mistakes were made but that's all you spent you spent the whole festival trying to convince people you were a writer and then went to one of the acts and told him he was cute <laughs> something like that it's pretty on brand for me <laughs> oh, i'm sorry that we're dragging all this back up again <laughs> my this life is, is one big embarrassing moment this, this is something is, new <laughs> this was always the danger with this with this segment what about you juan have you um have you got some festival related skeletons in the closet uh you know i had i kind of had to go back to my memory bank and just go through I, I never used to go to festivals because I just didn't, the concept of going to a festival in Puerto Rico wasn't really a thing if you like indie music, unless you like salsa music, then definitely you can go to a million festivals. But um, I really started going to festivals more when I moved to LA and pretty much every year I would cover uh, FYF, which is Fuck Yeah Fest, which is kind of like where all the weirdos would go to pretty much, it, it started like a punk kind of, festival and then it became like this juggernaut that just kept growing and growing until 2018 and that's when it got canceled um but I did see some great things uh just little revelations right like discovering that LCD sound system were actually a terrific live band even if I don't really listen to their recordings uh I think I remember seeing Guided by Voices and seeing how they were like really rock stars and not really having that idea in my head that they were uh Savages were also great. Jenny Beth is always someone that you can depend on in terms of just visceral, just powerful performance. But I think my favorite one was probably Charles Bradley. And the reason why was because not only does Charles Bradley just ooze confidence uh, figuratively and literally, because I remember that he got off the stage and let's just say his body definitely perspires a lot. And he just like smudged a bunch of us with his like glowing, dripping sweat. But we didn't really care because it was like the great Charles Bradley, right? So it, 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 he definitely let, left a mark uh, on a lot of us uh, in many ways. Literally. But it was, yeah, literally. But it was a great experience, yeah. And bet you, you skipped over the bad experience. Or was there not one? 
Yeah, don't let me be alone in embarrassing stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, of course. Well, I, I think the not, I try to be really methodical. So I try to not see things that I don't want to see. But I, I have had the, the unfortunate experience of thinking that I was going to enjoy the pains of being pure of heart. And I thought it was terrible. And, uh, and I think it wasn't like really even the right audience. It was just like a bunch of girls fawning over the lead singer. And I'm like, yeah, this is not really for me. I don't really even like this band too much to begin with. So I remember leaving that one early. Uh, and I think one of the worst ones, I'm sorry to say, because she's a great artist, but I love Missy Elliott, but just her performance was really just having this annoying hype man that was just like going over, going through every single song. And it was just watered down versions of her hit songs. It was kind of too much to bear. I felt like maybe I would have had like a better time just taking a Molly and going to like John Talbot <laughs> where all the cool kids were, I think. So uh, yeah, that was probably a mediocre experience, I think. Yeah, I'm a bit like you, Juan. I like to approach a festival with a a well-researched spreadsheet and, a, and, a, and a, a methodical plan. But yeah, that's caught me out in the past as well. I think uh, I have a recollection of, I can't remember which festival it was. It might've been a Reading Festival in the early 2000s, maybe 2000. I remember seeing, um, well, Pulp were headlining, which would have been great. Um, but I went to see Embrace, which wasn't so great. Um, but my my biggest, I'll start with my biggest regret. But a bit like yours, Gabby, um, experiences in the uh, in, in the foot, in the foot. was cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I who know. hasn't? I know, and he's like, you, "Why does everyone keep doing this to me at festivals?" <laughs> no, um, it was also in the in the press pit with the with the camera. I had I had an SLR, so I kind of almost looked like I fit in, but I I had it on auto because I. You know, because so you an don't idiot. know how to take photos. Exactly, because <laughs> like, you're a writer. Exactly, <laughs> and a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I had the first part right. I managed to, you know, spend some money and look like I fit in, but I failed at the second hurdle. So I remember I was shooting. Is that what photographers say? <laughs> um, it yeah, was. Sure. It was Sonic Youth were playing. It was all tomorrow's parties. It was really, really good. Uh, and Thurston Moe comes over and literally leans over me with his guitar about an inch from my camera. And I'm thinking, this will be an amazing shot. But of course, autofocus didn't like Thurston being that close. And it kind of went like, eh, 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 and then took a really blurry photo. And that could have been the best shot I ever took. And instead it was kind of, you know, it was, it was disappointing and it made me feel like I didn't belong there as well. So I retreated from the press pit and watched the rest of the set feeling a little bit glum. Um, and then later in that festival, that camera was destroyed by a flying pint of beer as well. So that was sad. And there um, was no cloud, so that photo's gone. Yeah, what a shame. Um, but Dave, you said Sonic Youth, and that reminded me of at least three other festivals that I had apparently blocked from my memory <laughs> that included Sonic Youth and Wilco and the Shins. Oh, wow. So I don't have any more details on that, but that's cool. So yeah. thanks. Oh, well, there you go. It seems you've got some, some serious amnesia when it comes to festivals. Apparently. <laughs> Best performance. Uh, going back to, this was also, I think, Reading 
must have been 2000, Queens of the Stone Age, um, they were just about to release uh, Rated R, I think. And um, that was, I just remember that being really, really, really fun in a, in a small tent on a, on a tiny stage and them just being really, really loud. And, you know, it was sort of before the buzz for that album had really kicked in. And it's, I think it's nice seeing a band before, just when they're on the cusp of making it bigger, um, but you still get to see them on a, on a small, sweaty stage. So that was my oh, best. I'm thinking, if you went to Reading Festival in around 2000, this must have been like the height of like, like were Limp Bizkit there? Like it was that, it's that kind of festival, that kind of If time. they so were, ju- my, my, my spreadsheet would have eliminated them. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, I'm just thinking them. I, I was almost, as soon as you said you went to Reading at two, in the year 2000, I was like, well, there's going to be some terrible band from that time that Dave is now going to, tell us that he saw like my worst festival experience was I saw like I don't know spine shank on the Kerrang stage or something or... <laughs> yeah that I mean it that you're right it was it was the time and I'm sure there were loads of those bands which um, I skillfully managed to avoid and the good thing was it was people like guided by voices and the and the little tents and I remember seeing Elliot Smith one year and it, yeah so there was That's awesome. there was great stuff um yeah as long as you avoided the 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 lure of the the new metal, which was quite <laughs> easy for me, but might have been a struggle for you, Joe. Yeah, very much so. Lovely. So, race. <laughs> well, yeah, indeed. <laughs> you can't win them all. Um, so we've learned more about everyone there, which is always useful. We're going to um, skip on to the actual picks, really. Um, I think that's what we're all here for. So. Let's let's launch into that. And first up, we're going to go to Joe. Joe's chosen a Kenyan-born, Australia-based artist called Elsie Wameo. Um, we're going to listen to a track called Nilotic from the Nilotic EP, which is out now on Music in Exile. Entity. Stand down, the queen's here, exotic in identity Can never be the centerpiece if you were never meant to be Lathered in the jewels and the gems I'm the masterpiece, just admit I'm the golden piece I'm you still in the making, but I know what be mine me, I'm divine, take a sip, it's tea time I'm here to take my place in what was rightfully mine I'll have all the gold and the diamond from the guinea Great, that was Elsie Wameo with Nilotic Joe, tell us about this one yeah, so I wanted to um, bring this in because um, with Australian hip hop, um, a lot of it is, I mean, a lot of it is terrible. A lot of it is um, just rapping about um, how, great, how great beach parties are and things like that. And then if you sort of dig a little deeper to the stuff that's not necessarily always on the radio, um, you do end up with a lot of great sort of um, indigenous artists as well doing a lot of great stuff. Um, but then just in the last few years at least um it coming to my sort of consciousness there's been a few artists from um the sort of african diaspora in living in australia who have put out some really interesting things um the sort of most well-known of those would be um sampa the great who i think has had a little bit of success outside of australia and she's also on the latest avalanches album which might be where quite a lot of people 
know her from. Um, but yeah, I came across um, Elsie Wameo um, just in the last few months um, due to a piece I was writing. And yeah, so she's born, born in Nairobi, now lives in Adelaide, I believe. And there's just this kind of really, um, really sort of interesting mix of kind of old and new, I think, with her with her work. So that that Nilotic EP, um, it's her latest release. There's no no full album um, available from her yet, but um, that that track um, Nilotic, I think, um, actually does sound sort of quite quite modern. And there's some things on the on the on the EP that kind of almost sort of go into very very modern hip hop and almost like um, trap music and such in a way. But then You've got stuff like um, the track I really like from the album is called um, Promise. And it's got something I really like in hip hop when it sounds like it's actually being played. Um, or it sounds like there's a live band playing and there's like a real sort of swing to that. And it's um, quite sort of sort of soul and R&B influence, I think, as well. Um, in terms of connecting it to kind of the past, I'm not sure it sounds too much like any kind of movement in hip hop other than I don't even know what you'd really call it, but it's, um, I guess, the sort of like socially conscious hip hop from the early 90s. So while it doesn't particularly sound like something like Della Soul, I think there are elements of, say, like um, Arrested Development, perhaps, um, in just kind of um, a band that was kind of socially conscious and very much looking back at their own heritage and what it means to be, um, means to be, um, either like an immigrant or a second generation um, person growing up in a, in a certain country where you are where you are a minority and yeah I think it's it's just a very kind of exciting record and I'm excited to see what she does next. Good yeah I mean I I really enjoyed it I, I like you said I, I think that's the era of hip-hop that you, you're talking about that I particularly enjoyed um, I I tend to have a slight aversion to to trap beats, so I'm not not a huge fan of that sound. But I thought this this was a record that had that, but had had a lot of '90s hip hop influence. And then there was some some things like heard a little bit of Kendrick Lamar from from sort of ten years ago blended in. There was there was a full spectrum of influences, and it it sounded just a little bit fresh as well, being being kind of coming out of Australia is not something I've listened to a great deal of Australian hip hop and, you know, listening to your introduction, maybe not a, a rabbit hole I'm going to go down, but certainly something, <laughs> oh, it's, something to consider. Yeah. It's a rabbit hole worth going down, but you do actually have to like make an effort to go into the rabbit hole rather than just kind of, um, yeah, sort of like see what's, what's on the surface um, yeah. because it is the kind of, um, I don't know that I do sometimes tend to think that in Australia, some people have taken Macklemore as like a hip hop year zero or something. So yeah. it's not, there's, yeah, but there is, I mean, uh, with with any country, with any scene, there is always great stuff out there. But yeah, um, yeah you do have to kind of look look a little bit further. I, I'm not sure in terms of live performance, how, how um, you know, whether she she performs with, with any live band or, or with, you know, just with backing tracks and things. But this sounds like something, if if it was with a live band at a festival that would just be a real sort of fresh surprise that you would stumble upon and and just go home and devour afterwards i'd really like to to see it with a live band yeah I'd, i'm not sure either and that that kind of um sort of live band thing that reminded me a bit of the um the first um speech to bell album which won them on the mercury prize which people seem to have forgotten about but i still still really enjoy and um, she is playing 
and I, I know the brief was to find people playing festivals and I wanted to pick an Australian based artist, which makes it a bit difficult because there aren't festivals going on here at the moment. Um, but she, yeah, so she is playing a, a festival actually in um, in Sydney at the end of May, which I would really like to go and see her, but I'm, I'm, I'm not in the country, but no, I'd, I'd be interested to see what she does. What did you guys think? Uh, yeah, I, to me, it was impressive because I kind of went back after I heard the EP I think she's covered a lot of ground in four to, in about four-ish years, which I thought was really impressive. Uh, I went back and I I heard tracks like Intuition, for example, which kind of has like this slinky groove with these like twinkling melodic parts, and it complements her singing in a way that's not it's not very showy, and I appreciate that a lot. But whereas you go to this EP now, and it's very abrasive completely different. It goes deep into grime as well, if yeah. I have the terminology right. And so it was very interesting to go back to that evolution. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, I speaking of grime, I thought she sounded, well, not not completely, but I, I was reminded of Little Sims. Like the first track, um, I think, because this whole album, it's, this whole album is like, obviously quite evocative of the Nile. <laughs> um, but the first track I think is called River Nile and it right, reminded me of that Little Sims track, Venom. Um, and it's very like aggressive and confident and just, I thought very well done. And I didn't, so I didn't go back further into her um, oeuvre, but, uh, I did look into her and she, it is, it will be interesting to see how she performs because my understanding is that she recorded all of this and produced it like entirely by herself. Um, like this was like a COVID project as many things are right now, which I thought was really interesting. And I also got this really like biblical sense from the CP like not just the Nile imagery, but like she puts herself out like this prophet, which I just ate up. Like, it's so powerful. It's very like, I don't know. It's more than just like backpack hip hop. Like obviously there's a lot of that like socially conscious stuff and it's very like fuck the police and all that, but it's a lot more intense than just that, um, I thought there I don't know I just I thought it had a lot more to say than just that like the the roots that it had mm, I think yeah that what you said about the sort of profit stuff as well that's something I don't know if um you almost sort of start to call it a movement but with um um Sampa the Great as well that's something that she very much does and there's like there's sort of imagery there where I've seen her do performances sort of like as as in like an African queen on a throne and she's um she's actually playing um so Sampa the Great's actually playing at the Sydney Opera House quite soon um with a um a show called like an Afrofuture and there's um yeah I think the sort of elements of like Afrofuturism the kind of things that like Janelle Monet and Solange mm -hmm. kind of explore into their music as well um so yeah I think that's definitely a really good good thing to bring up it's pretty cool because that suggests as maybe a strong visual element as well to the live show because you know, there's a lot of fun you can have with those kind of themes. Yeah, I um, watched the video for Nilotic and if you haven't seen it, you should because it's 
well, it's beautifully produced, but also like that imagery is very much front and center. So. So yeah, so that's a really a good strong pick from Joe. I mean, uh, we were joking last time about Joe never never being eligible for for winning, but that is that's a really good start. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. We're moving on to Juan's pick now. Uh, Juan, you've chosen the band Oceaneta, who've got a new album out on Polyvinyl called Nothing's Ever Fine, and the track you've chosen is called The Last Summer. Flashing by me and a cherry coke and crumble bag of fresh rice lying on the passenger seat. Where he used to be, one hand at the window watching light play across the hood of my car from the streetlights passing by. And of another That's great. That's Oceanator with The Last Summer. I love that little guitar riff there. Um, right, so tell us why you picked this one, Juan. Uh, sure. So Oceanator is a project of, like you said, Elise Okuzami. Uh, she's a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist. She does a bunch of things. She's from Brooklyn. I believe that's where she's based. Not from there, but based there. And her album was called Nothing's Ever Fine, which kudos to that. It's very, a very relatable kind of uh, title for an album. Uh, but I think like the album as a whole, it seems to balance a lot of darker and lighter moments, which can be pretty compelling. I think it can even sometimes miss the mark, but I'll be completely honest, but it doesn't really stray from how she writes these really good singles and what will be deep cuts that she wrote throughout that she, on this one, she's definitely uh, trying to develop more as an artist. She tried to experiment more with overdubs instead of just trying to do necessarily a live recording and live tracking, which is great because she's, she's really, um, she has really good guitars as well. So she's trying things, new things. It seems like the new album has more of an apocalyptic thing uh, theme, which seems very of the time. We even discussed uh, something very similar in the last episode as well with Cloakroom. Although she intended, she said that she ne didn't necessarily associate it as a pandemic record as she had already been working on it. So um, I think also that she, she has like these clean vocals that remind me a lot of uh, woman singers of the 90s. You can think about stuff like uh, very cursory level, like Heavenly, a band like Heavenly or Velocity Girl or even Eve's Plum, kind of bands that have that kind of sound, although, except when later it got popularized, right, to bigger bands like Letters to Cleo. And, and I, I really like that aesthetic in terms of just vocal range. Um, but she's also like a little bit more punk than those bands. And she's all, she was also like part of the DC uh, punk scene in many ways, which explains why the music can be a little bit more rugged and has like a visceral approach, but she also like works with pop hooks, which is still kind of the name of the game here. Um, 
Uh, I also, like you said, like that finger picking guitar riff. It, it seems like she alternates between sometimes silver finger picking and doing these fuzz riffs, which I think it's really fun to hear. Um, another thing to note, I think, is that she's associated with a lot of bands that are in this new crop of indie rock. They're not stars, but notable artists like Barty Strange is a friend of hers. Jeff Rosenstock she's worked with. I think, she, I think she's going to tour with a Canadian band Pup this year as well. So she has like a lot of very close associations that are really cool music of the moment. Um, this album, even if it doesn't really go too personal, it, in the past, I like that she's also talked about uh, things like mental health. She's talked about the challenges of being a Black woman in a traditional white male-dominated genre, which, let's be honest, indie rock has always had a huge problem with, and, and with being more open to inclusive voices, and they always kind of keep it very hush-hush, right? So. It's been slowly changing like drip copy in the past few years, but I'm hoping we'll continue to hear more from her. And I think she's going to keep taking her music in more interesting directions for sure. Um, yeah, Juan, we're all speechless. If I, <laughs> I, I, if I can interrupt what Dave is probably about to say, I was having such a hard time figuring out like what exactly this sounds like, but because to me it sounded like everything like I kind of I jotted down platonic ideal of rock and roll um it's like like all the summer jams except like kind of ironic but as soon as you said DC punk scene it clicked for me because it sounds like Ted Leo and I love it <laughs> like oh, yeah. um like that's what it is like it's so rare these days like whither the guitar solo whither the the guitar riffs like where is all this stuff and like I love that stuff so much, and that's what it is. It sounds like Ted Leo and the pharmacists. Like, yeah, we were not a, not exactly, <laughs> but like that's what this is. Yeah, like I, I was thinking, like maybe like some Soundgarden kind of like doomy. Yeah, riffs, for sure, but, for sure. But it's not exactly that, for sure. It's, yeah, like I kind of was thinking earlier this week when I was listening to it, I was like, well, kind of letters to Cleo, but it's harder. I mean, it's exactly what you said, but like as soon as you said DC punk scene, and like, what do I love about the DC punk scene? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. So. Yeah, I I love this record. Like there was some really standout tracks, but um, specifically the one we just played, but also, hang on, I need to find it. It's the one we were talking about earlier, Juan, and I'm forgetting the name of it already. Um, stuck. I yep, that's stuck. the one. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, so yeah, I really, really dug this. This, I, I, I knew you would. I, I kind of felt like if, if I'd just been sent these picks anonymously, I would have thought this, this has got Gabby written all over it. It's, it um, does. It, it's very much like um, you kind of pitched Empath last week as a kind of, you know, a, a very 90s, you know, reminiscent of the 90s without being a kind of a, an overt copy, but something that people of our age who remember that era fondly would would just immediately warm to and it would evoke all these old favorites that you've kind of forgot about and stopped listening to and uh, yeah it, it's and I think isn't that what you want from a from a festival performance so maybe you stumble upon a band you you're not that sure about you're gonna just you're gonna love this straight away and it's yeah. it, it's it's going to become a fun favorite. So yeah, I, I felt much the same way. Just, it sounded like a familiar kind of music that I just haven't heard done this well for a while. 
Yeah, um, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, um, yeah, I, I'm not, I haven't got too much to add, I guess, but like that track in particular, the one we just played, just imagining being in a crowd with that at a festival, even, I think it's just so immediate that it's the kind of thing that it would win people over who hadn't heard it within like a minute, basically. Yeah, and probably even when it's, it's pop enough to win people over who aren't even sort of diehard indie rock fans. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's really, it's a really great tune. Perfect. Well done, Juan. You picked well. Could be two for two. Yeah, it won't. Yeah, it, it won't. We can't let him. We can't so. let him get any. I, I don't know. His we, we ego is out. We still have. We still have Gabby's pick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> although I feel. Although I feel. Truthfully, I feel like I was more pitching for Gabby this this week. Of, I think so. I don't know if that was intentional. But, yeah. Yeah. You yeah you don't win any any extra marks for doing that you know um, no that's not you do with me yeah. in my in my heart <laughs> great um Dave sorry yeah. have you got a full like charcuterie platter behind you I have yeah look at that I thought you just had some olives and then I looked at you reach back and I was like <laughs> is that cheese is that like oh my god like yeah the most middle class like midnight snack absolutely no word from our sponsor you know right yeah. <laughs> this, this fucking you know, charcuterie board <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed it's um you can't podcast without a piece of manchego to munch on guys come on <laughs> you know what <laughs> i'm done like you know we i'm out <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's like we gave Joe a hard time because he lived close to a beach, and now you come with a Manchego cheese, you know, with mm -hmm. the Manchego reference. So I think uh, you I think guys have got to up uh, your game, you know. Playing that lane, yeah. It's looking sparse in the background, Juan. Where, where's the where's the snacks? I have no snack. No, mm -hmm. I, I don't have I, any snacks. I, I have snacks. I just don't want to eat snacks while I'm podcasting. <laughs> a bottle of water. That's true. It's an audio medium. It's like, yeah. Chewing is not um, yeah. generally encouraged. <laughs> yeah. I had some coffee before we, you know, we started. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a pro. That's the difference. Um, right, should we move on? Um, should we do my pick next? We can, yeah, we'll do my pick. Wait, aren't you always the last one, David? Sorry. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go next. I think, I think I need to be last. <laughs> I really, I agree with yeah, this. You went first last week. You can, <laughs> it's only fair. Right, so we're going to move on to my pick now, uh, and I chose uh, a record by a band from London called Honey Glaze. Um, they were they just happened to be playing uh, a festival in Sheffield a couple of weekends ago that I missed, <laughs> so I didn't see them. I didn't go to the festival, and um, I kind of wish I had because there were a couple of a couple of good under the radar bands playing. Um, but the track I've chosen is called Female Lead, and it's taken from their self-titled debut, which is out now on Speedy Wonderground Records. <laughs> like the female lead so i went out to buy some bleach i put it in my black hair 
Yeah, so that was Honey Glows with Female Lead. Um, not really a song I can relate to because I've never dyed my hair. Um, and I, <laughs> I think the ship has probably sailed for that um, going forward as well. But I really like this. Um, the, the album itself is, is really good, actually. But um, it just sort of hit that sort of sweet spot for me of indie pop, a little bit of dream pop thrown in. You know, I was thinking of, you know, thinking of all sorts of, you know, it's a sort of record you listen to and you could, that could be a moment that sounds a bit like Mazzy Star. That could be, you know, a little bit of Bell and Sebastian, all sorts of things, really. The the full spectrum in, in the indie pop, some things are a little bit dreamier, some things are a little bit more twee. Um, and when I read a little a little bit up on the band, um, there was a brilliant a, a brilliant uh, little snippet in an interview where the singer had referred to Emmett Rhodes as a better Paul McCartney, which I thought was a sort of ridiculous thing only someone in their twenties could come out with. Um, but how many people in yeah. their twenties have heard of Emmett Rhodes? So it's it, it, to me that encapsulates the the wonder of this band really they they're obviously far more um educated on their music history than i was at that age uh and i just think the result is a is a really just a really promising record really what did you guys think um so the first time i listened to this record i was like yeah okay this is nice this is you know I, I didn't think much of it, I'll be honest. And then I realized throughout the last, I forget when you sent this over to us, it's been a few weeks at least. I have been singing female lead to myself like constantly. Um, and not just that one, but especially that one. And I realized like it is such an earworm. And um, I think there are a couple of other tracks like Shadows and I Am Not Your Cushion that have also been like stuck in my head but female lead especially and the more I listen the more this record has been growing on me and there's just something so clever about it and I started trying to think of what it was and I think I figured it out and it's it's exactly the relatability like especially of that song like to the um, like teenage girl experience. <laughs> um, there are a couple of songs, I other songs from other artists that came immediately to mind that um, I'm not sure that they actually sound like those. You guys, similar, I mean, you guys will tell me, but to me, they're like this perfect like trio of tracks. So the first is Lucy Dacus's I Don't Want to Be Funny Anymore. And the other is Mitski's Best American Girl. And with female lead, they're like three like most relatable, like young woman coming of age songs that I like now it's like completed for me with this track. I don't know. I, so I think the Emmett Rhodes reference does check out uh, David in a lot of ways because I, even though it's obviously wrong as much as I love Emmett Rose. Uh, um, their music is tends to lean more intellectual than you might think. I think there's a song where they reference Charles Bukowski. Yeah, there uh, is. 
<laughs> yeah, so so they're definitely on the artier side of the spectrum. Think maybe uh, maybe uh, bands like Fear of Men, which I adore as well. So even though they don't necessarily sound alike, but there's definitely obviously, like Gabby said, uh, at first it, it's that lushness to it, right? Where it just kind of flows and it, it's very, it really sounds very, it goes down easy. So, but there is a track that I, I am forgetting the track and they kind of change it up. And I really, I think that's my favorite track. And I will get back to you on that, David, because I don't remember the track and it's like in the middle of the, of the record. And it's, I thought it was fantastic because they kind of change it up and they, it, it almost sounds like a, like, like a proggy kind of song almost because they have like four different sections in the same song. Um, it's very distinguishable. I just don't remember the title of the song right now, but yeah. I feel like the album is really good, but it 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 hints that there's perhaps more to come. And and, and I, I I think it, it sounds like a debut where I'm thinking, okay, this is this is really good, but I think your your second album, your third album is gonna be perhaps the one where we see what you're really capable of. Um, yeah, I don't I don't disagree with anything that's been said um, so far, but I think I need to just, even though I've listened to it a few times, I still feel like it hasn't quite sort of broken through. Like, I, I don't have any sort of criticisms of it, but at the moment, it's just, I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, it's clever, it's neat, it's got good melodies. Um, definitely all the sort of touch points we've mentioned, I'd, I'd agree with, but it's, even though I kind of agree that it's earwormy, it's also not sort of staying with me enough to want to go back and listen to the whole the whole album. Um, I think when you sent this track through, Dave, the, the album hadn't actually come out yet at that point. And That's this right. is like a very neat sort of two two minute um, little pop song, which is nice. But I remember just putting it on the finishing and just kind of going, oh, that was that was fine. And and I think every time I've listened to it, I have enjoyed it more. But it's um, it still hasn't quite sort of broken through to the level where I'm, you know, and would be listening to it for anything other than homework at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad it was enjoyable homework, if nothing else. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's that's a, a a fair comment. You know, I think the name um, of the track, by the way, sorry, is Half Past. Check out that track; it's incredible. Brilliant. Sorry. No, that's fine. But yeah, I think that's um, that's Honeyclaws. Then, obviously, um, I haven't seen them live. I missed them at the festival, as I said, so I can't comment and. I feel like you know if you if you if you catch them live, it's gonna be it's gonna be on a small stage in a small tent, maybe a quieter moment. And I think you sometimes need that at a festival, you know. Um, so I think the kind of band that could could just quietly win you over. Um, but if you stick around, I, I think I think there's gonna be big things to come. Lovely. So last but not least, we've got Gabby who looks reluctant and is shaking her head. <laughs> <sighs> Gabby, you picked Glasgow's own Walt Disco, <laughs> who, have, yep. uh, who have an album out on Lucky Number Music called Unlearning. Um, and the song you've chosen is Cut Your Hair, which is not a pavement cover. No, it's not. <laughs> Oh, 
So that was Walt Disco with Cut Your Hair. Gabby, tell us about Walt Disco. That was the safest of their tracks. Um, so as you said, uh, this is a Glaswegian band, a six piece. Very over the top, queer, gender fuck. Um, I took this assignment quite literally. You said festivals and I went literally spectacular, like a spectacle as it gets. Um, basically this record is like, it's theater, it's a cabaret, it's a musical, like it even has a costume change in the middle, um, a literal one. Um, it's a, it's just flamboyant. It's, I, I don't know if it's good though. Um, before I get there though, I want to, I want to read from their own bio that they wrote that I think will just really describe them perfectly. Walt Disco is the vehicle for our creation, exploration, self-affirmation, and our insatiable need to be gawked at. So I think that, I don't know, I think that's the perfect descriptor. This is a band that appeals to like 15 year old me who was obsessed with Velvet Goldmine and the soundtrack for it. Um, this is like, I mean, I think the vocals, if, well, in that song actually might be more David Byrne, but David Bowie, um, but like by way of Mark Boland and everything glam rock, like 70s glam rock, 80s new romantics, and then just fucking show tunes, which honestly, like I hate musicals, <laughs> I hate them. So I am very ambivalent about this record, but I also wanted to expand our horizons with something ridiculous um, and kind of like maybe a little Hedwig and the Angry Inch. <laughs> um, and this, you know what this kind of reminds me of a little bit, maybe not, it doesn't sound the same exactly, but it brought me back to like the darkness, if you guys remember that band. Yeah. <laughs> how can you how can you forget? How can the you darkness? forget the darkness? He's <laughs> um, a commentator now. I love it yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been trying, but I haven't succeeded yet. Yeah. <laughs> So also so, they like, I don't know, everything about them, like their EP, um, Young, Hard and Handsome, that's like named after some vintage porn, like everything about them is incredible. So for me, this is a band that kind, like, to be fair, kind of annoys me listening to them, like recorded, but I bet would be so fucking fun listening to in a festival setting. So that's Walt Disco. Also, Walt Disco, what an amazing name. So there that's, you go. That's what, gonna, that, that's what I was gonna start with. As soon as you <laughs> sent this over, I was like, well, this this has to be amazing. They're called Walt Disco. That's such a right. great name for great name for a band. And it made me think that as I was listening to it, I realized that I have kind of a, an inverse relationship generally with how much I like a band compared to how seriously they take themselves. So bands that don't take themselves at all seriously. I tend yeah. to I tend to like so it's like pop acts and things as they start to take themselves more seriously I like them less then mm -hmm. you get to the really sort of like toe-faced kind of um I don't know 
U2 arcade fire end of things. But then it's actually it's a <laughs> it's actually a spect it's actually not a it's not a, a circle. Line. It's, a, it's a circle. And yeah, and it can come back to a point where a band takes themselves so seriously that it actually becomes ridiculous. And there's there's some acts that are kind of like on the cusp there, like um stuff like so I, this reminded me quite a lot of um, uh, Rufus Wainwright. Oh, yeah. Obviously, obviously, like, it's not, you know, contemplative singer-songwriter stuff, but just in terms of how kind of ambitious and grandiose it is. Um, and with Rufus Wainwright, I can never quite, I can never sort of make, see, uh, understand quite just how sort of tongue-in-cheek some of it is. Um, and then this, yeah, this just comes completely full circle. It's just so over the top. And, but it's like, how can you be sincere about music that's over the top yet they seem to be kind of doing it with a straight face while also being absolutely ridiculous um which yeah i can't help but really really enjoy um i think i would definitely agree with you that everything about them sounds fantastic on paper uh the the songs are great they'd be amazing to see live put them all together and listen to a whole album of it i think i'd um, have described it to you as it being like a very rich dessert in that yeah. there's just so much going on that a whole album of it is just is is a lot but um yeah the new, new romantic thing that you said definitely and the, and the Bowie influence really 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 comes through I quite like there's actually sort of a bit of um kind of industrial sort of not noise as such but some of the sort of synth stuff is quite uh. kind of dark and industrial yeah mm. Mm. Which, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's ambitious. Certainly, they've tried to like throw everything at it, but it's, um, yeah, it's <laughs> easy, easier to admire than to love. But I did enjoy it a lot. I'm glad. I think I think I can only fill in the blanks because you both eloquently said it. So I think the one thing is that it seems like the latest renaissance with the band Sparks has also made us appreciate how artsy pop music in a more operatic sense just goes down hard and it's really fun. And I've always been a big proponent of big dramatic music. That's, that especially that sounds punky because we didn't really get to that. It does have that dance punk aesthetic that I really like as well. Um, and I don't know, so I also, it's funny that you entered the new romantic era because I didn't associate it, but now it makes even more sense to me because now kind of pairing that era and pairing a lot of those bands from that electro clash era that I used to like a lot. Think yeah. of Hercules and the Love Affair and Fisher Spooner who are very more electronic driven, but I like this more because it's more like a band setup. So I really like that it's more in, in that dancier punk realm. However, I do think the music can get a little bit overwhelming at times. It's a little too much if I listen to it from beginning to end. Um, but I think that's what's great about it, that I can also revisit it and see if I can, I can digest it a little better. And, and it's awesome. I didn't even know they were from Glasgow, which is usually a place where I find a lot of my favorite bands. So yeah, me too. Yeah. So that's good to know. Yeah, I not little to add really, as, as is the case when you kind of go last, I, I it's fascinating, isn't it, how kind of varied a range of touchstones you guys have named that and, and everything I'm kind of thinking, yeah, that checks out, you know, 
how can you sound like, like all of those bands? Um, and I, I had a few, a few more. I mean, I had um, definitely in that tune, you can hear the, the talking heads, David Byrne in, in the vocals, but I had that dance punk thing. I was thinking of, of bands like the rapture and things, but just, just more, more fun. Um, and, and, I don't know if it's less serious or more serious, but like Joe said, it kind of it's gone so far in that direction that it's hard to tell anymore and 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 <laughs> and hard to judge. I, I heard a bit of ABC as well. Huge, you know, I'm a huge fan of ABC uh, and some of the more ridiculous but brilliant moments on the lexicon of love. I could hear kind of blending through there. It, it's like every every extroverted band that I can think of has just been kind of you know you know crammed into into one thing and it's just over the top it's fun and yeah it, it's far too much really for an album but for a live show I mean how could you how could you not have fun um, listening to this and even if you hated it you'd be having fun hating it you're going to get a reaction you know um, and in some ways, it kind of comes back to Confidence Man last week. It's that kind of maximalist, over-the-top, just unbridled fun that, you know, isn't that, isn't that one of the reasons we, we love music, you know? It's so so um, who, get, who, who are you passing the torch to next week to bring in the, um, the fun album? Because I've had my time <laughs> with Confidence Man. It's Gabby, Gabby this time. So either yeah. you or Juan next week has to bring in the, the over-the-top um, yeah, maximalist Challenge pop album accepted. Yeah, we'll have to play we rock paper scissors right. or something to to, to no, do once, that. Once, put this, oh, once he's put going for up. it. Good. I, yeah. I love the idea that we can only be fun like once, maybe every one four months. <laughs> yeah, only one at a time. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just a, it's just. A, I, I also heard, I heard the Gladswegian thing because it sounded a little bit like a glam Franz Ferdinand as well. Was, that was waiting for somebody to say that yeah didn't register for me that's interesting yeah i read that more than once that i think that every time i look them up i saw someone mention france ferdinand and i didn't i didn't know if i heard it but yeah. i was waiting for one of you to say it i, I definitely heard it and, and it's interesting <laughs> if i went and listened to france ferdinand now which i'm not going to um, oh, I have. Juan and I are going to see them. How how sort of you know how monochrome and dull would they seem now after listening to Walt? Uh, you know have 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 the dials been turned up to eleven? You know can we can we put the can we put the genie back in the bottle? You know who it's knows? Maybe maybe Walt actually, Disco but... destroyed music. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so that is a good Great. place to. It's. I think it was an apt tune to finish on really um yeah how do we pick a winner from all this I, I think that you know you you guys have brought some great music this week I am going to uh I'm gonna go with Joe I think yeah hey I, I just <laughs> I just feel like um you know Australian hip-hop isn't a genre I would ever have wandered into on my own and I, I'm really glad that that Joe brought uh, Elsie Mayo's record to us it's it's abrasive it's challenging um but it, it's worth it's worth the effort and I, I'm definitely going to be enjoying that for the rest of the summer well 
first i'd like to you know obviously thank thank the three of you um my, my parents as well mm -hmm. obviously um everyone you know anyone i've ever met um the academy <laughs> my label my manager um but no i guess i really yeah <laughs> yeah yeah insert deity if you're choosing here um but no, I think I'm, I'm really glad that was received so well, because I think I know the purpose of this is to shine a light on some sort of lesser known artists. But I think even amongst the four that we picked today, she is the probably the, the least known. Um, just I mean, using a, it's not the best metric, obviously, but just in terms of sort of like social media following and, and so on, it seems to be very small. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I've got to introduce her to at least three people and hopefully more. Brilliant. Thanks, Joe. Right, so that, that uh, rounds up another episode of Quarantine the Past. We hope you've enjoyed the new music. There's been quite the range this week. And um, if you are going to some festivals in the summer, you'll hopefully stumble across a few of these acts and um, let us know what you think. Okay, until next time, thanks for listening.